Well, it's exciting to me to be able to introduce to you my good friend, Dr. Jerry Kula. Y'all give Dr. Jerry Kula a warm Mount Horeb welcome. We got in last night from Tulsa, Oklahoma, about 12 midnight. We were coming, he was coming how nice the roads were and everything and coming all the way from the airport. I said, I'm gonna drive you on a Liberian road when we get down to the church. And we're gonna take him down to the White House. We had to get a little dirt road action, a little four-wheel drive action to get you back there to the house. But, but uh, we're so excited to have Jerry here. He, he's bringing the truth of God all over the world. He is speaking all over the world, sharing the good news of Jesus. And he spoke at Asbury Seminary this past week. We were in Tulsa together Thursday uh, through Saturday through last night. And uh, Dr. Kula uh, welcomed Trevor and I to Liberia last February, a life-changing experience for both of us. And uh, uh, we are now Kula, Dr. Kula's boys. You know, we, you know, we, we kind of follow him around, you know. And uh, well, maybe Trevor is anyway, right, Trevor? But uh, Dr. Kula is the dean of uh, the Graduate School of Theology at the, at the United Methodist uh, University in Liberia. He's a delegate to General Conference for the United Methodist Church, and he's helping promote biblical authority and, 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 and standing for what we believe is truth, and he's, he's a very much a leader in Africa uh, here to the United States. He's married to a beautiful wife named Ruth. They have four children. His youngest daughter is in Atlanta studying to be a doctor, and we are partners with Jerry in Liberia through a clean water initiative uh, for the community. We're also at Mount Horeb. You're providing scholarships for students to go to seminary. And um, Jerry is a graduate of Asbury. He's a friend, he's a partner, he's a brother in Christ. And, and uh, I can't be more proud to have him stand before you and preach this morning. Give him again, again. Dr. Kula, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much, brother. Good morning. I'll bring you greetings from Liberia, from our wife and children, from the United Methodist University where God has graciously uh, taken us to serve. Uh, I want to let you know that Proverbs 25, 25 says, King Solomon speaking, like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. I'll bring you good news this morning in Jesus' name. And that good news is that Jesus is the hope for our broken world. Jesus is the answer for the world today. So whatever our situations are, our circumstances are, wherever part of the world you find yourself, Jesus is your hope because he is my hope. Amen. So before I bring you that message of hope, I want to just express my profound gratitude to all of you for the partnership we share. I'm here this morning as your missionary from Africa. I have been adopted, even though your church council have not taken this decision, but what I believe, I, I'm your missionary. So I'm here this morning to report to you uh, on the ministry and working Liberia. Thank you for the Pure Water Initiative. You don't know how much impact you are having around the world. As a reach of Puerto Rico, Kenya, Liberia, and other parts of the world with the message of the gospel through the services, the missional activities you are engaged in. You may be a local church here in Lexington, but you are a global church through all of your initiatives. May God richly bless you in Jesus' name. Uh, thank you for the scholarship. Thank you for providing an African pastor 
a new vehicle for the first time in his life. You did it. I want to say thank you. And I know God orchestrated that plan. Your pastor and Trevor in Liberia, my old old car, we used to moving around doing ministry, and it broke down on us. And all of us had to ride a motorbike <laughs> to commute from place to place. And in our process, he said, no, this African pastor needs a vehicle. <laughs> and my heart made that possible. And today, I'm a proud pastor with a vehicle that can move around and do ministry. Thank you very much. May God reach the blessing. Let's give the Lord a hand of applause for that. My friend, in appreciation to that, of that, I brought a little gift, and this is the gift. This is the Liberian handshake that is very unique to Liberia. And so it, it, uh, it's a manifestation of the partnership that we have with Mount Horeb. And so I want to give you this little gift, and all of you will learn the Liberian handshake. So when I shake his hand, I don't like for him to just take his hand away. I want to shake it so that uh, your, middle, your thumb rests on the middle finger, and then we snap it. Can you try that in your pews for the person next to you? <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, so uh, I give you this gift in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May God bless our partnership as we advance God's kingdom around the world in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. God bless Thank you. you. <laughs> This morning, the message, I, the message of hope that I have for you is centered around prayer. I'm going to be concentrating on Acts of the Apostles, chapter 12, verses 5 to 11. And we'll be trying to answer the question, what happens when the church prays? When the church prays, what happens? And I'm, I'm going to be sharing this message to you because my life has been greatly impacted by prayer. I will not be standing before you this morning had it not been by the power of prayer and the grace of God, the mercy of God. Amen. Amen. I am one of 47 children. I know that might be mind-boggling for you, but my father had 47 children from five women and several concubines, a village chief somewhere in Liberia. And my mother gave birth to 11 of us and nine survived to adulthood. And we were there in that village living, I mean, just facing an uncertain future. Uh, I don't know how many of you have been to Africa, but where I was born, there was no hospital, there was no clinic. I was born behind a banana bush. Male wives were involved, African men were involved in giving birth to me, the grace of God. And here am I today standing before you Wonderful people of God to share with you the word of God. God must be wonderful. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. I gave God all the glory. But I was there in the village, like many of my other siblings, not knowing what future God had for me. And one day, one of my, my half-brothers, who came from the city to visit, uh, just asked me to follow him to the city. And he gave me to some people to stay. I was there living and doing the worst of jobs in the hope that I would learn English and, learn and get some education. And I was there struggling through all of those years. Sometimes I want to go back to the village. But when I look at the village through the eyes, through my eyes and my mind, I see abject poverty. And then I resolve in my heart, I will do everything I can, get some education, and rescue my mother from the village. So in junior high school, 
I came to faith in Jesus Christ. I accepted the Lord. I became very excited with campus ministry, memorizing books of the Bible, and quizzing on my school team, the Bible quizzing. Many of my friends began to say to me, Jerry, why don't you consider going to seminary? But my friend, that's the last thing I wanted to do. Because in Africa, there is no economic future for a pastor because of the abject poverty situation. Even as I stand before you here, I don't have any savings to say this is for my retirement. Because it's not possible. Whatever little you earn, it's not even enough to take care of your children. Talk less of a saving for the future. And so I began to work hard. By the grace of God, I went to college. And then just about the time I was finishing college, I met a beautiful lady, and I wanted to get married to her. We planned a wedding, April 14, 1990. The government gave me a job, and I was teaching in high school, and I went to Germany for a month. Why there? I purchased the wedding, gown, the wedding bag and the shoes, and I came home. Just upon arrival, the Liberian Civil War broke out. It was like a dream died. Everything became devastated. Many lives lost. No food to eat. We were barely surviving on grass. And so one day I decided I would move to the port area of the country. So I wore six briefs, two trousers, and double my shirt. And I was in a crowd trying to escape. Suddenly the government soldier took me off the line and claimed that I was a rebel because of the way I was dressed. I thought I was trying to save myself two sets of clothes so that when I wear one, I can wear the other one while washing the other one. But that's the, the worst mistake I made. I was arrested. And this guy high, the general asked him to kill me. And so he placed me behind some concrete blocks and he had an AK-47 thrust in my chest. And he asked me to take off my clothes. And the general was killing others at the other extreme. I took off my clothes and as I took off the two trousers and kept taking down the brief, he counted eight trousers. This guy was intoxicated, all his eyes red, and the gun trusted in, in my chest. All that was left for this guy to do was to let go the trickle. And on August 16, 1990, I would have been dead. But as I stood before him, I kept praying, praying and praying, repeating the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's Prayer, and whatever prayer could come, I was just muttering the prayers. As that was happening, suddenly he turned in the direction of the guy who asked him to kill me. This guy back was turned, doing harm to others. Just then, the breeze blew a plastic bag where we were standing. And this guy with an AK-47 in his hand saw the plastic. He went down, picked up the plastic bag, and just threw it in my chest and said, run for your life. I was afraid to run. I thought you want to shoot me from the back. He shouted again, run for your life. I had no choice. In the military, you have to obey the command. I ran up the hill. I did not hear a gun sound, but my entire body was just trembling. I escaped that scene. Made it to the port. After a few days, I escaped on a gunboat to Nigeria. While sitting at the port, it was like God was hanging over my head. And God began to say to me, Jerry, where is your mother? Where is Ruth? Where are, where, where are all the things you are trying to accumulate? You know, as a Christian, sometimes we build walls around our lives. And we say, God, don't, don't bother with this. I will take care of them myself. And that was my attitude. And so as God was speaking to me, I look up to heaven. I said, God, you are right. And I am wrong. It was like being born again for the second time. I turned my life over to God. I said, God, use me whatever way you want. 
Why on a refugee camp, God opened the door for me to go to seminary. But every day I pray for Ruth. On Ruth's birthday on September 30th, not knowing whether she's alive or dead, I celebrated her birthday. I love this lady so much. All my friends, I said, look, show me, pray. And we just pray and pray and pray. I made it to a seminary. In my third year, one evening, I was studying for a homiletic test. While I studied in my room studying, some of my friend registered office just opened the door and gave me a telegram. 1990, all those cell phones. As I read the telegram, it said, there's a lady called Ruth Che in Lagos, Nigeria, looking for one Jerry Kula. When I read that, my whole word was the turn right side up. I became so excited and speechless that Ruth is alive. My friend, the next day, when I wanted to do the humility test, I failed the test. <laughs> because I could not comprehend anything. I ran to the provost. I said, you remember the letter I told you about? That we've been praying about? She is alive. And then that weekend, we went to Lagos. On March 29, I saw Ruth that very evening. We started planning our wedding. And then on the 11th of July, we got married in 1992. And we thank God that today God has graciously blessed our four children. I studied, I went back to Liberia in 1997. I met my, wife, my mother alive. It was on the 14th of September, uh, 2014, September 29, she went to be with the Lord. So all that I tried to do for myself, God told me that he's enough, he's sufficient, he's able. And my friend, it is no secret what God can do. What he did for me, I don't know your situation. He can do for you. Praise the Lord. Why don't you give the Lord a hand of applause? So that is how much God has impacted my life. And this is the reason why I want to live my life for Jesus before it is too late. I want to do what I can. I want to preach what I can. I want to do all I can to let the world know that there is someone who has the answer for the world today. Who has the hope for our brokenness. So that no matter what your brokenness may be, Jesus is the answer. Amen. Praise the Lord. It is based upon this, I want to share with you what happens when the church prays. In this context, I'm not talking about this beautiful facility. I'm talking about you and I who have found faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus Christ, you are the church. You are the set-apart people for God to declare his presence. What happens when you pray? What happens when you take that situation to the Lord in prayer? What does he do? In Acts chapter 12, verses 5 to 11, we see lots of truths unfolding here. In Acts chapter 12, the church is going through the second major persecution it has ever gone through since the birth of the church. And so, what happened? James, the first of the 12 apostles, is arrested. He's executed by the sword back in Herod. The first major persecution was the stoning of Peter, or stealing to death. And that was instigated by the Jewish authority. All right? And now this time is back in Herod. And so what the, what the first uh, persecution did for the church was to scatter the church. But my friend, no amount of scattering can ever stop God's church from growing. 
no amount of persecution. So here we see the church growing in Jerusalem and growing now in Antioch. And now this guy comes and he wants to persecute the church. And he begins to arrest all of the leaders in the church. And then when he did that, he went ahead and he executed James to the joy and delight of the Jewish authority. And then he moved on now to arrest more leaders of the church. This time, Peter. And he gets Peter in jail, waiting until after the Passover to bring Peter out, judge him, and execute him. As I read through this passage, the first thing that struck me was this. What happens when the church fails to pray? I was wondering what would have happened if the church had intensified her prayer time when James was arrested, when other apostles were arrested. Maybe they would have not been killed. But apparently the church sat down and did not pray as much as it's supposed to have prayed. My friend, when the church fails to pray, we give Satan a foothold. When the church fails to pray, we forget that prayer is our offensive and defensive weapon. When the church fails to pray, we ignore the fact that the weapon of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down every stronghold. Through prayer, we pull down every imagination, every pretension, every argument, every territorial spirit, and we compel them to be submissive to Jesus Christ. Because the scripture says, at the mention of the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen. 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 So when the church fails to pray, then we ignore the fact that Jesus has just said, Acts. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 8, Jesus says, Ice and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. For whoever ice receives, he who seeks finds. To him who knock, the door is open. My friend, prayer is our weapon. Prayer is our offensive and defensive weapon. So the church goes on now to pray. And John Mark's mother's house becomes the prayer room. And the church is intensifying her prayer. And then when the church began to pray, many things began to happen in the spiritual realm that began to have a physical manifestation. So follow me in Acts chapter 12. And let's look at verse 5, beginning there, trying to answer the question, what happens when the church prays? I submit to you the following. Number one, when the church prays, God gives us his peace and comfort amid our problems and our challenges. If you look in there, you see Peter chained to other soldiers, but Peter is lying sleeping. The best type of rest you can ever have is sleep. Peter is comfortably sleeping. Apparently, all of this is going on. Peter is not troubled and worried because he knows the Lord is my shepherd. He knows even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because the Lord is with me. He knew that in the fire, there is another person in the fire. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever fire or situation you are going through, God gives you his peace and comfort when you pray, when the church prays. Number two, 
When the church prays, God shows up and he restores our hope and he delivers us. The church was deeply troubled that its key leaders were being arrested and so it began to pray. But as they pray, God showed up. God sent the angel into the prison in response to the prayer. Number three, when the church prays, God removes the obstructions that confront us. Herod was the obstruction. His soldiers were the obstruction. They did not want to see the church grow. And they began to create all kinds of crisis by arresting the key leaders. But my friend, when the church prays, God removed all of these obstructions that come our way. This was very touching for me. Number four, when the church prays, God causes the chains that bind us to fall off. Praise the Lord. When the church prays, God causes the chains that bind us to fall off because Jesus is the bondage breaker. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who has broken every yoke and given you and all the victory. When the church prays, the bondage are broken, the chains fall off, and we are set free, and we can move, even in the midst of principalities and powers, even in the midst of territorial spirits, even in the time, the season of sicknesses, we can still triumph because our chains will fall off through the power of prayer. My friends, I share with you this morning, I don't know what your chains may be, but God is able to break those chains. I don't know what your bondages are, but I invite you to the bondage breaker, the Lord Jesus Christ. Your chains may be an unhealthy relationship that you are struggling with. Why don't you turn it over to the Lord Jesus Christ? Your chains may be challenges in your marriage. Why don't you turn it over to the, to the manufacturer of marriage, the one who instituted that, 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 that life for you and I. Your chains may be unforgiving spirit, grudge and revenge. In Romans chapter 12, verse 17, the Lord said, vengeance is mine and I will repay. So if your enemy is hungry, feed him. He's naked, clothe him. Test it, give him water to drink. It is not you and I to fight our own battle, but to turn it over to the Lord and he will fight our battle. When he fights our battle, he vindicates us and he sets us free. I don't know your chains, my friends. It might be fear and uncertainty of the future. I submit to you Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. In Isaiah 41, 10, God says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. My friend, your chains may be addiction. Is it sexual addiction? Is it drug addiction? Is it addiction to pornography that is destroying many lives and many families today? Is it addiction to evil thoughts and evil imagination? Whatever your chains may be, I recommend Jesus, the bondage breaker. And he's able to break your chains, set you free, 
When the church prays, God blinds the eyes of the enemies. Imagine 16 soldiers standing at four different guard posts with their ammunition and everything, and Peter is in prison. The angel comes, the light shines, but they do not see. And Peter and the angels are walking through and passing amongst them, and they do not see. My friend, that is what God does for us. That's the reason why the scripture says in Psalm 127, that Psalm 125, they that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion which cannot be removed by a battle forever. As the mountain surrounds Jerusalem, the Lord surrounds his people henceforth and forevermore. God surrounds you, my friend. All you need to do is to offer a word of prayer. He's just a telephone away, a telephone of prayer. When the church prays, God causes the iron gates to open wide before you. Every impediment is removed when you pray. Finally, when the church prays, God pronounces judgment on our enemies. Peter was destined to be executed, but it was the 16 or more soldiers watching him that replaced him for execution. King Herod wanted to destroy the church, but he was destroyed not by a bazooka, not by an AK-47, not by pistols, but by worms. Ordinary worms destroy the king who tried to put himself in the place of God. My friend, that is what the power of prayer can do. I don't know what your situation is, but I invite you to try Jesus. He will be your friend. He will be your savior. He will be your Lord. I don't know how many of you have been following the struggle within the United Methodist Church. We in Africa have been very troubled by what's going on because we don't, even, we don't understand why someone or generation today will want to ignore the word of God. When missionaries came to Africa, some of their coffins, not knowing that, that there was no hope of coming back to home to share the gospel. Our parents received the gospel. They've given it to us. And some people are saying, abandon the word of God. We refuse to do that in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I don't know how many of you have been following the struggle, but February, we were in St. Louis to determine whether the current book of discipline, we will change the language in it regarding our sexual ethics, regarding marriage, and regarding ordination orders. In Africa, we, had no, we did not have all the money that was going around here with everything. We simply had the power of prayer. So our members, our deaconesses, our pastors, as some of us are coming to St. Louis, they went indoors, locked the door behind them, and they were in there fasting and praying for what was going on in St. Louis. Because we knew that we may not have the political influence, the economic influence, but we had God. And we could cry unto God because he said, call upon me in the time of trouble. I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So we cry unto God. We fast and pray that God's word will remain truth for this generation. That God's word that is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword will pierce the heart of God's people everywhere and compel people to come down on their knees to cry unto Jesus. That was our commitment. And the prayer focus was to remain true to Scripture and to contend for the faith 
that the missionaries passed on to our forefathers and mothers, and now today we are inheritor of this word. And my friend, on that fateful day of February 26th, when the vote was cast, in spite of all the political maneuvering that bishops, liberal bishops, and other people did, we stood our ground and we remained true to the word of God. Why don't you give the Lord a hand of applause for that? We remain true to the word of God. And so I, I encourage you to also continue to contend for the faith. But the way to do it is to seek God. Because when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of life's conveniences will be added unto you. Yes, in Africa, it's difficult. There is poverty all over the place. There is disease. There is poor health care, poor drinking water facilities, illiteracy rate very hard, and many things going bad. But even in the midst of all of that, the church is growing faster in no other place on the continent than in Africa because we've committed to stay true to the Word of God. We, commit to, we are committed to pray. We are committed to seek God. And for all of us continue to do that, there is hope for the future because you and I can commit to prayer. As I conclude this prayer time, even though some of you came over here to pray, but you might be among us and the Jesus we're talking about, you don't know him. This is your opportunity to invite him to your heart. If you're not being involved with missions, as far as this church is concerned, you can, you can recommit yourself. If for some reason you have abandoned the Lord Jesus and he's not active in your life, there's an opportunity to rededicate your life. I want to pray for you before I take my seat because I know the God who rescued me, the God who broke away my chains, the God who has enabled me to stand here today to share with you God's word. He's still alive. He is the hope of our broken world. And he is your hope. If you turn your life, your ministry, your career, your businesses, everything about you to the Lord Jesus, he will mend your broken pieces and give you hope for a better life. Amen. May God bless you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want to pray for you now. May you bow your heads. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity to declare your word. You are our faithful God, our God who is able to do more and more abundantly than we can ever ask or imagine. I lift this congregation to you. Pray for those who need to make a decision for Jesus Christ today. Our Lord, they will do so before they leave this hall. And pray for those who maybe have abandoned you and need to rededicate their lives, their family, their businesses. Oh Lord, to you, I pray, oh God, you bless them as they do so. Because your word said, no one comes to me and I cast them away. Father, we pray for Mount Horeb United Methodist Church that its ministry will continue to spread to the ends of the earth because this is what you've called us to be when the Holy Spirit comes upon us to be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and onto the uttermost part of the earth. For those who are sick, Lord, we pray for healing. For those who are discouraged, we pray that you encourage them. For those who are lost, you will find them. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing us today. And thank you for blessing us and making us a blessing. Take the honor. Take the glory. In Jesus' mighty name and God's people say, 
Amen. Amen. God bless you.